You're listening to Coldo D. Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Our services are every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. For more information, like us on Facebook or visit our website at coldod.org. War against Amalek. That's what we want to look at. Um, war against Amalek. But first, uh, this little passage that Suzanne just mentioned that's is beautiful in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 13. So let's just quickly look at that, those verses there. And where he says, this is the beginning of the parasha, Beshalach. After Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, although that was nearby. For God said the people might change their minds if they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way, uh, around the way of the wilderness by the Sea of Reeds. The children of Israel went out of the land of Egypt. So he didn't lead them. Not, the Hebrew word nacha, it means to lead to a goal. And it's interesting. It's a, the word that they might change their, less, you know, beware they change their minds is the si- similar word in Hebrew, nacham. Nacha and nacham, it's very similar roots, actually. And, um, but in seeing war, they might return to Egypt. Um, and so God led them around the people the people around the desert by the way of the Sea of Reeds in battle array. And uh, God knew, you know, that they couldn't handle. And God knows what we can handle. He only knows, allows us to see what he wants us to see, right? Um, We might panic and run away from the battle if we see it. So God redirects us, the principle here, God redirects us to avoid it sometimes. But he still prepares us in battle gear to face it in the future because ultimately we can't avoid the battles. Uh, The battles are going to come either way. But we sometimes can't face them right now. And we'd panic if we could see. If we knew what we were going to face when we were first new believers, we might say, forget this. I'm I'm out of this. You know, I'm I'm not going to be, I'm not going to follow the Lord. But thank God, he knows what we can. And there's a beautiful principle there. But I don't want to spend any more time on that. I just think it's a, it is a beautiful principle, isn't it, there in, in that passage that God led them, our people, around rather than the direct route, which would have been made more sense. Uh, look at chapter 17, then, and we want to spend the rest of the time here in verses 8 through 16. And this is the war with Amalek, which was Israel's first war. And there's an amazing way that they won this war. And it's, it, it, there, there's principles and aspects that teach us how we can win in the battle, in the wars that we face as well, the spiritual battles we face, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Um, and the battle isn't natural, it's supernatural. But it is a combination of spiritual and physical that are used here. And it says that Amalek, 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 Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And of course, just after the miracle of water, one of the miracles of drinking the water, that they had God providing water. Let's read the story. Then they went, then the Amalekites came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, Moses said to Joshua, choose men and go out and fight the Amalekites. So he tells them to choose soldiers, go out. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill. It's a hill. The head of the Rosh, the head of the hill, 
with the staff of God. Oh, I left the staff. I brought a staff and I left it in my car <laughs> to show you. I actually did. I brought a staff. I can't believe it. I left it in my car. All right. And he says, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said, and he fought the Amalekites with Moses, Aaron, and her. The three of them, they went up while Moses, Aaron, her went up to the top of the hill, the head of the hill. While when Moses held up his hand, Israel did what? They prevailed, right? They were winning. But when he let down his hand, when it rested, the Amalek, Amalekites, won. they were winning. They prevailed. They were winning. So Moses' hands grew heavy, kavod, they grew weighty. Heavy, kavod, kavod. So they took a stone, an evan, and they put it under him, and he sat down on it. He sat down on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands. So in other words, he would have been lower. He would have, he was, instead of, and I don't have my, we can't find the, the, the head mic. For some reason, it disappeared. So if anyone saw it somewhere. So anyway, but both hands would be like this. And instead of them having to hold his hands like this, he would have been seated. And so it would have been easier for them. Now, how long was he, were they holding his arms up? Well, it tells us, look, all day long until the sun. His hands were, hands were steady. The Hebrew word is until the sun went down. And the Hebrew word is emunah. You know that word emunah means faithful. Emunah, trustworthy, faithful. Emunah, until, interesting, until the sun went down. So all day long. So Joshua overpowered the Amalekites and his army with the edge of the sword. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and rehearse it in the hearing of Joshua. For I will utterly blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under he heaven. And this, then Moses built an altar and called the name Adonai Nisi. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my sign, my miracle. Then he said, by the hand upon the throne of Adonai, Adonai will have war with Amalek from generation. Door, redor, generation to generation. All the time. And uh, so... Interesting. And of course, in Purim, we blot out the name of Haman, a descendant of Amalek. Interesting. Following that tradition, uh, it's, it's one of the things that comes from that. So <clears throat> this was the first war the Jewish people waged, and it took place a little over, it's believed, one month after the exodus from Egypt. The Amalekites lived to the south of the land of Egypt in what is now known as the Negev the desert, the Negev. They were descendants of Esau and well-trained in the art of warfare. They launched a vicious, gutless, unprovoked surprise attack. Though the Jews, the Israelites, had no designs on Amalekite territory and were not even headed in that direction. So this was a cowardly, ruthless act upon a tired and weary people and realized that the Jewish people were not conditioned for warfare. 
How are they conditioned for warfare being in slaves in Egypt for a couple centuries at least, for over that whole period of time? They weren't. And so this was a, an unprovoked attack. And they were just been liberated from slavery. And they're on their way to their homeland. So following the battle and their defeat, God commands Moses to record the story and joins Moses and his future successor, Joshua, to remember the attack as well. Now, God promised to completely wipe out the memory of Amalek from the earth and to wage an eternal war with it, with them in every generation. He swore that his name and his throne would not be complete until Amalek was destroyed. Amalek was For 40 years later, as the Jews poised to enter the land of Israel, Moses reminded the, them of his, this command to combat Amalek in Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19. A parallel might be how, to, how our posture might be toward terrorism today. Not soft toward it. Now imagine if Joshua was softer and said, you know, after going through this stuff, well, well, you know, Moses, I don't think they really meant that much harm. They're not that bad. And we can forgive and forget now. It's over. We can forget. If he had had that posture, he could not have continued as Moses' successor in Moses' legacy in God's plan for his chosen people. One, Psalm 139 is fascinating to me. In the midst of the most tender, precious psalm. Do you know Psalm 139? Probably my favorite psalm. I won't tell you about some, any passwords that I have. But, <laughs> but uh, Psalm 139 is one of my favorite psalms. And, and I'm sure it's yours if you're, you're aware of what it is right now. It's, you know, where the Lord says, you've searched me. I'm looking at it here. Lord, you've searched me. You've known me. Psalm of David. When I sit down, you know me. You know where I'm thinking of far off. You, you know everything about me, right? You're, you know, I can't, and basically, I can't get away from you. It's one of the reasons it's, it's a good passage I would use for the doctrine of eternal security, which is when we go in our classes today, it's probably something we'll mention, you know, it's a, a, that you can't lose your salvation. Some people believe you can. That's okay. You can believe that. I don't believe it. Uh, if you really have it, I don't, you could never convince me of that because, because it's not that, as it says, yeah, you can turn that off. It's not that we have, uh, it says, like Paul says in Galatians 4, 9, not that after, he says, after we have come to know God, and he says, or rather, God has, come to, God has come to know you. God has saved you. God found you. You didn't find him. And he, we, he, when we were born again, he has rescued you, and he's taken you, and you're sealed with his spirit in Ephesians 1.13 and 4.30 until the day of redemption. That's the redemption of our bodies when he, he's going to give us brand new bodies. So I believe we can be disciplined. I believe we can even be taken home ahead of time early, you know, and lose rewards at the Bema, at the judgment seat. But I don't believe we can ever lose our salvation. That's just my personal belief. I was, I was strongly uh, taught that in, 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 uh, when I was in Bible college, and, it, and it's a part of me, and I've studied it, and it's very, I, I'm aware of the passages that people would use to say, teach otherwise. But it's, and, I, and there are great men and women of God that believe otherwise that I respect, but 
I just thank God that he, that no one can take me out of his hand. In, in John 10, 27 and 28, Yeshua said, you know, and, and there's many verses I would use. But this is one of them. He says, if I try to run from you and go as far as the ends of the earth, even there, you're going to find me. You know, read the story of Sir Thompson's Franson, Sir Tom, Sir Francis Thompson, who wrote The Hound of Heaven. What a, what a poem, The Hound of Heaven, you know, and, and, uh, and when he was an opium addict and he was trying to, you know, running from God and how God found him in the den, opium dens of London. Anyway, but in the midst of this amazing psalm, even there, darkness and is dark, you can't escape me, I can't escape you, you knit me together in my mother's womb, you knew me in every part, you saw me and all, you know, all of this, beautiful. Then he says, um, in the midst of it, how precious are your thoughts, how, how, how vast is the sum of them, O God. Um, he says, uh, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloody men, for, I, for then I would, they speak about you with wicked intent. Your enemies reproach you. Do I not hate those who hate you, O God, Adonai? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with total or perfect hatred. I consider them my enemies. And then he goes back, search me, O God, know my heart. It seems like a contradiction, but it's not. It's not in God's mind. You know, Yeshua called Peter Satan at one point, and he told him to get out of his way. He said, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Matthew 16, 23. And that's when Peter addressed Yeshua, and he said, in the Greek, he said, pity yourself. He said, I want you to feel sorry for yourself. Don't go to the cross. Don't go and, you know. And Yeshua said, I have to say, I have to stop you there. He says, I can't give place to this because it's God's plan for me to go to the cross and die. To go to the, and so I can't give place to this. He said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you're thinking the human thoughts, not divine thoughts right now. And, and, uh, and so Peter accepted that. Peter had to accept that rebuke and move on and realize, and that was part of his growing. Some people are saying, well, my, you hurt my feelings. Well, Yeshua hurt people's feelings quite often, to be honest. Uh, he said in John 6, 61, does this offend you? Blessed is the one who's not offended by me in Matthew 16, 11, verse 6. It's going, to, it's going to happen as we grow. God is going to offend us sometimes and in, as we grow, and that's how we grow through it. Well, Paul later forgave Mark for deserting them earlier and told Timothy to bring him to help. He did not feel the same about Alexander the coppersmith. He said, who did me much harm. Uh, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds, he said. Be on guard against him too, for he vehemently opposed our message. 2 Timothy 4.14. Was he inspired when he said in Galatians 5.12, Oh, gosh. Well, I won't quote, quote that. He said it pretty intense. So our love needs to abound still more and more, Paul says, with knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. It's love. Yes, we love, but with discernment in Philippians 1.9. Not sentimental love without discernment. In Paul's letter to Romans, the Romans, after remembering 30 or more people affectionately and gratefully he suddenly shifts to this. He suddenly says, 
And he said, he's, remember, he's saying, remember this person. He says, oh, and say hello to this people and say, greet this person. And, oh, don't forget this person. I love this person. Love. And then suddenly he says, now I urge you, brothers, note those, keep an eye on those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the teaching which you've learned and avoid them. Turn away from them. For those who do such serve not our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, but their own stomachs, their own appetites. And by smooth words and flattery, deceive the hearts of the simple, of the unsuspecting. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. And then he says later, now the God of Shalom will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Yeshua be with you. He sees no contradiction in these two acts of judgment and grace, justice and mercy. Now, what was so evil about and diabolical about the attack of the, by the Amalekites was that according to Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 18, Amalek ambushed them in the rear when they were tired and weary. That's what it says, when they were tired and weary. How serious is it to God when injustice is carried out against the defenseless? When people use their position of power or wealth to take advantage of the weak, jump, aspire, a takeover when another is hurting or under duress. But God is a God of justice, and he's the defender of the weak. So here's what happened. Joshua says to, uh, jo Moses says to Joshua, choose out men, verse 9 of chapter 17. Choose out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Moses delegates Joshua to choose soldiers, a militia. And Moses will go to the top of the hill with Aaron and her. So we do warfare on two fronts, the physical and the spiritual. Rabbi Jeff Foreman, in the recent conference we were just at of Toronto, Canada, such a great, I'd love to have him here as if we could get him here to, to, to share with us, speak with, speak. He said, we are on a battleship, not a cruise ship. And we need a battleship mentality, not a cruise ship mentality as believers. Moses takes his, his hand, as his hand, yado, his hand is held up, rum, the Hebrew word means projecting toward a goal. Israel prevails, the Hebrew word gavar, means is in control, overpowering. So what is this picture, the hands up, picture, and again, I'm going to put the mic down for again because I really want to use both hands. So the hands are up toward God, reaching up toward God, like depending upon God. Saying, God, I need you. I'm depending upon you. Or it could be I'm praising you. I'm looking towards you. Not trusting in man, but trusting in God. Not trusting in the sword. Not trusting in the soldiers primarily, but trusting in God. But they need the soldiers. But they're trusting in God. And so it's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of dependency on God, reaching him, our need, and our praise of recognition of who God is. We're determined to reach him. The hand's going up toward God. It takes effort. It takes endurance. Praising him no matter what it looks like. And Moses' hand, when it would 
was let down. The Hebrew word is nuach. If you know modern Hebrew, a little bit if you've heard modern, nuach is to rest and to stop movement. And when he'd stop movement, the Amalekites prevailed. When we stop praying, guess what happens? The enemy starts to win. When we let up praying, the enemy starts to prevail. Yeshua said it this way, men ought always to pray and not to give up, not to faint, not to lose heart. Always, Luke 18.1. Colossians 4.2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Moses, but Moses' hands started growing heavy. Kaved, kaved here. And, you know, let's everybody hold your hands up, for your, both your arms up for just a, a minute. Okay? Let's hold them up. Okay, keep holding them up. Keep holding them up. Okay? To the, to the rest of the next half hour. <laughs> all right? Now, we're do, imagine doing this all to the end of the day. You couldn't, right? We couldn't. If you're playing basketball, you learn to get, you start practicing, right? Having to do circles, I think. I, <clears throat> all right, I'll let you put it down. But it starts getting tired after about a minute, right? Shoulders, and poor Simcha just had shoulder surgery. My goodness, so she can't hold one, one up at all. And rotator cuff surgery. <clears throat> um, I have a torn rotator cuff. I'm just refusing surgery as long as I can. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, his hands grew, and all day this went on. When we stop our prayer movement, we cease praying, needing and depending and thanking God, and we st stop praising the Lord, aiming at the Lord, the Amalekites start winning. They start taking control. Again, that's what the word gaver means. They start getting control. The enemy starts getting control. So look at this picture. They took, what did they take? A stone. The word Evan for stone, right? I love the word Evan. One, I, I got this thought once from a Messianic rabbi, an older Messianic rabbi. Evan, if you see the word Evan in Hebrew, it means, I don't know if we have it up there. Yeah, there we go. Do you see two different words that come out of Evan? Av is what? Father. And what's Ben? Son. Yeah, interesting. Just interesting, right? Father and son are both in the word of the stone, the father. So in a way, we could sort of say, ah, the father and son are both pictured there, the father and son under him. He sat down on the stone. You know, Isaiah 28, 16 says that the Messiah is a stone, a stone tried. And in the Hebrew, it's Evan, Evan, twice he mentions, Evan, Evan. And then it says a sure, a musad, musad, a sure foundation, musad, musad. Foundation, foundation. We settle down, we sit, we dwell on the sure foundation stone of Yeshua. He is God come in the flesh, the God-man. 1 Corinthians 3.11, no other foundation can anyone lay than what is laid, which is Yeshua, the Messiah. The stone which the builders rejected in Psalm 18.22 has become the chief cornerstone. And so Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on each side. The Hebrew says, one on this, one on this, one on this, one on this. And so what a picture of us working together, a team, helping together. Thank God for helpers, supporters, trusted servants coming to our aid 
each doing his or her part. We each have a part. You know, you don't have the same gift that someone else has. Uh, we each have different gifts. We do our part, and we do what we can. But they're equally important tasks. And Aaron and her holding up, steady, holding up his arms, uh, steadying, relying upon. Uh, it says his hands were steady, trustworthy, faithful. This is the word emunah until the going down of the sun. Beautiful, beautiful picture here. So continually praying. Don't stop. Continually. We're faithful. We're full of trust. We're filled with trust because of others strengthening us many times. It's not even our faith, but it comes from others. Haven't you experienced that? You run out of it, but someone else, because they, because of their, their encouragement, because of their, I thank God for, I, I, I have faith because of many of you in many cases. I see Barbie there. I remember her sharing some, some words during some difficult times. And boy, Barbie, you're, what those words were from the Lord, you know, boom, you know. And I, I could say that of others here too, but I never get to tell you. So I say, oh, you always leave too quick. And I get to, so anyway, when, I, when you're here, just I really appreciate it. So and I know we've all experienced that, experienced that. Aaron and her, we can, and together, only together we win. Moses had Aaron and her. David had Jonathan, but also his three mighty men. Yeshua had Peter and James and John, but he also had Mir Miriam, uh, was very special. Paul had Barnabas and John Mark and later Silas and Timothy, then also Aquila and Priscilla. God provides different workers and helpful for all of us in, in what we're doing and faithful friends and family. Joshua overpowered them. The word is kalash. It's simply the word for weaken. He weakened them. He weakened the Amalekites and his army with the edge of the sword. And the sword is, of course, a picture of what? The, the word of God, right? The sword of the spirit, yes. The sword of the word of God, sword of the spirit. Ephesians 6, 17, the word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4, 12, Yeshua said when he was battling the enemy, he said, it is written, boom. He didn't say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, boom. <laughs> he said, I'm sorry, but he said, it is written. It's the word of God that has the power to destroy. That is the word of God that we trust in. And thank God for the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And verse 14, I will utterly blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. The Israelites were specifically commanded blotting out uh, once they had taken possession of the promised land and retribution for the, what Amalek had done. And so um, Moses builds an altar, and he calls it Adonai Nisi. Adonai Nisi, the Lord is my miracle. You know, we, on the dreidel, Neskadol Hayasham, a great miracle happened that. Or Nes, same word there, Nes, a miracle. It's the Lord, it's, uh, the Lord is my miracle, an elevated flag. The Lord is, not anything else. He is my life. The Lord is my life, not anything else. The Lord's my life. This is the miracle. And so, Medor, Dor, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation. Amalek represents the worst form of evil, ruthlessly taking advantage of the weak and defenseless. The prophet Balaam refers to Amalek in the following passage, Numbers 24, 20. He says, Amalek was the 
Amalek was the first of the nations, and his fate shall be everlasting destruction. And every year at Purim, Purim, or Purim, the holiday we celebrate from the scroll of Esther two months from now, which took place 500 years after this incident we're reading about today, by the way, this battle, we blot out the name of, the, of Amalek by booing and shaking our groggers, right? Boo and stomping our feet, right? Whenever, whose name is mentioned? Haman, yeah. Haman, boo, his, Haman, yeah, let's do it. Boo, yeah, let's practice now. All right, we'll be doing. That's what we're doing, all right? But the victory is from Adonai, not our, not our sword in Psalm 44, verses 4 and 7. Although we use it under his powerful guidance, you are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you, we push back our foes. Through your name, we trample those rising up against us. It's not in our sword. It's through you. And we thank you for your victory. Father, we thank you and praise you for this story and help us to learn from the lesson, Lord, that it gives us for your glory, Lord. And may you win the victory over Hasatan, Lord, and that the good news of Yeshua continues to go through each one of us, Lord, that we continue to be a strength to each one another in the difficulties we face and the battles we face, Lord, throughout life. Lord, that we are able to hold each other's arms up, O oh God, in the difficulties, Lord. Help us be Aaron's and hers to one another, God, in whatever we're facing, Lord, each one of us, Lord, because everyone faces tough times and, and things together, Lord. Help us be those, those uh, ones that support each other and put, help us put the, put the stone, put Yeshua, put our Messiah, that foundation stone, under each other that we can rest in the finished work of our Messiah, knowing that you accomplished it all. And we praise you and we thank you, Lord, Hashem Yeshua. Amen. If you never trusted Yeshua and as, as the Messiah, if you never put your faith in Messiah, then uh, here's a prayer you could pray. Dear God, I need you, Lord God. I thank you. You may be watching online. Lord, I, I just don't feel I have this experience of a personal relationship with you. I want to know you. Thank you for sending Yeshua, the Messiah, to die for me. I ask you to come into my life, to give me new life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a new start, and I trust in you today. And you're, if you're putting your faith in Yeshua today, please, there'll be someone to come uh, pray with you, or someone to pray with you after service. Just come up, and if you're here physically, if you're not, write us, contact us, and we want to con we'll contact you back and help you in any way we can uh, to walk get started in this new walk, and uh, thank you, Lord, for new life in Yeshua, that new birth, that born again, that first, boy, step uh, of receiving you, God, that has happened to so many of us, to maybe all of us here, maybe not all of us, but thank you for that new step that makes all the difference, Lord, where we have eternal life. Gosh, you know, I heard, uh, and I just have to say this, someone, um, Jewish person my age uh, just passed away, this week, a celebrity that many of us knew, um, he grew up, and I look, my, Francis looked up his name, um, forgetting his name right now, but he lived actually in, near, grew up near the, the uh, neighborhood right next to mine, and um, anyway, he made a statement, he said, about another Jewish person who had died at 100, who believed 
who, not, not a Jewish person, who was going to, said she was going to be reunited with her husband. And, uh, and he said, well, if she's going, if she believes that, I hope she's right. He says, he says uh, I've deferred to her. He says, but, you know, no one really, we really don't know what happens after death, you know. And I just thought how typical that was of many people that I grew up with. They don't know what's going to happen, of Jewish people. They don't know what's going to happen when they die. And, I, and then he dies, you know, right after s saying that the week before to her. He's got a young f a family. He's got children. And uh, you would all know his name if I tell you his name. But, um, and so don't, you know, if I hope you, 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 ex you know, find the Lord uh, because you can know that you have eternal life and that you have peace, that there is life after death. There is, a, is an eternity. There's heaven and hell. There's a reality. You know, and um, we'll be having our classes uh, today. There was a lot of work that's been going, gone into them, and, and we'll be going through what we do believe and what we don't believe, so you'll understand. So hope you'll, that session's from one to two. The next three weeks will be really great, so hope you can join us. Um, so praise the Lord. Yesem lecha shalom, Beshem Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar HaShalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the ruler of peace, amen. Shabbat shalom. God bless you.